something really odd about Father's Day. Have you noticed? Is there any other celebration during the year when the people who are supposed to be celebrated get a right good kick in, it seems? Um, Father's Day is like no, no other in that sense. The card makers reflect the mood. If you've been in and looked at the cards um, in, the, in the card shops, you, you, you all know what I mean. On Mother's Day, it seems to me that mothers get gushed over, don't they? You know, with uh, uh, lovely sentiments, flowers, and lovely pictures and everything else. Um, on Father's Day, uh, well, fathers seem to be painted as pond-like at best, um, tight-fisted, and, uh, and thick as two short planks, don't they? Um, take a look at uh, this one, for instance. This is, a, this is a card I found in a card shop celebrating Father's Day. Um, two blokes looking up at the ceiling. I think we may have had the DIY instructions upside down, said Dad, as they looked up at the skirting board. That's kind, isn't it? It's kind. Uh, or, or, or this one. Bit of an odd picture, bit of an odd card to send somebody on Father's Day, maybe. But it would be quicker this way than trying to teach Dad how to use email. It's not very kind, is it? Not very kind. Oh, how about that one? You see what's going on there? Looks like some, uh, some very tense surgery. What's the punchline going to be, do you think? It's not very kind, is it? After tense 18-hour operations, surgeons managed to remove a fibre from Dad's wallet. Dads are getting a right kicking, aren't they, in the card shops? Did anybody get a card like that this morning, by the way? Anybody, uh, you know, you're keeping quiet about it if you did. Oh, they're all over the place, aren't they? Um, is that what dads are really like? Is that what dads are really like? What do you think? Yes, no? Yes, no? No, surely not. Surely not. Not tight fisted. No. Yes? Somebody say yes? Oh, come on. Do we think we've got that sus, don't we? But what about God? That's a question this morning, isn't it? What about our Father who art in heaven? Most of us think we've got him sus, actually, uh, until we come to this story that Jesus told. Uh, it's the, one of the best portraits of God that we have anywhere in Luke 15, 11 to 32. In fact, if someone asks you what God is like, you can't really go to a better place than pointing them to this, this passage. So who's the daddy? Well, in the story, there are three parts. We see the younger son, first of all, and then the father, and then the older brother. But first of all, we're going to do a little bit of work uh, to make sense of the story. Who is the father, and who are the sons? What is it that's going on? In verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, and then he's telling a story. But how do we understand the story that he's saying? Well, in the Bible, as many of you will know, God is described as a father. And it's a good title, isn't it? He's the one who created us, and he's the one who cares for us deeply. The father in the story is a picture of God. And the first bit, from sentence 11 down to sentence 16 is a picture of sin. 
That's what the younger son in the story says it's about. Sentence number 18. Have a look at it. That's in front of you. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now we don't have to squirm and get all uncomfortable this morning about the S word. You know, like we do. We've got a story here to understand it. And if we look at the story properly, we'll understand what the Bible means by the word sin. It's not squirmy. It's not vague. Okay? Because the centre of the story is an amazing picture of the compassion of God. And there's a twist at the end. So to the story. Let's get, let's get down to the story. But let me start back just a little bit. I want you to imagine breakfast at this house. Imagine breakfast at this house. Dad's making the breakfast. Okay? The younger son's got his feet on the table. In my imagination of this. His headphones are on. He's probably got his head buried in, in a GQ stuff magazine or something like that. He's not one for small talk over the breakfast table. The older son, well, he's been up an hour already. He's, he's dressed and ready for work. And Dad's making the breakfast, okay? That's what's happening. That's the picture. But what's going on in their hearts? It's a question I want to ask. The younger son, I reckon, is thinking, Dad is such a waster. He's such a pushover. He's weak. And the older son is thinking, I hope this old man's not going to start blethering on. I've got loads of stuff to get on with today. And you know what? Dad's thinking, these boys don't know me. These boys don't know me. I have so much love to give and they don't know me. Then one day at breakfast, a big row, sentence 12, and the younger son said to his father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And what comes next is a surprise. He divided his property between them. Were you expecting that? In those times, the younger son would get a third and the older son would get the two-thirds share. Now, one of the things we're not told from the story, I don't know what happened, whether the father sold the house and then gave the youngest son his third and then bought another place for him and the older son. Maybe that's what happened. Um, Or maybe he signed over the deeds to a third of the share of his property straight over to the younger son. Either way, the younger son turns it into Redis because in the next sentence it says he took a journey into a far country and squandered it and spent it on, on reckless living. So he turned it into cash, didn't he, in order to do that. Now, we said sentence 11 to 16 are about sin. So what does it say about sin? Well, notice first of all that sin is like a very, very, very fast car. You know the type. When you get in the car, somebody else is driving, you've barely got your, your, your seatbelt on, and they're away, and they're off. We've got some fast drivers here, haven't we? Some people are looking at some people in a very unkind way at the moment. Sin is like a very, very, very fast 
car. Look at how fast everything happens in these sentences. Literally years, literally years are squeezed into a few sentences. Look at it. Look, look, look what it says. Not long after that. So that's like the foot to the floor. Seizing the opportunity, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in world living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Literally years squeezed into a few sentences. And when he comes to his senses, in sentence number 17, did you notice the story slows right down? So we can actually see how much time has passed quickly in, 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 in the few verses that went before. Sentences 17, 18, 19 and 20 might be telling the story of just a few hours. Just a few hours. Why are the years missed in this story at the beginning? Why is it that those years are missed so that we go from, from the riches to the pigsty so quickly? Listen to me. God wants you to know this morning sin is like a fast car. Sin is like a fast car. Sin's one aim is to take you from here to here in 0 to 60 without you even knowing it. Without you even knowing it. Speak so fast you feel like you're drunk. You are, it says here. You have your mind. You've got to say, are you in a fast car this morning? Is sin deceiving you? Listen to me. God says, slow down. Listen, this morning, you may be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Stop. Listen. You can be out of your mind a whole lifetime and not even have noticed. Because the story says it seems like a fast car. It's deceitful. So you say, how do I know I'm being deceived? How am I going to recognize if that's me? What's the diagnosis? Well, there are two ways in the story. First of all, sin does shocking things. Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. That is shocking. In this day and age, you might think it's not surprising. You might think, well, I can understand people doing that. But it may not sound surprising, but it is shocking. It is shocking, isn't it? So let me ask you, have you done anything that is shocking? If we were to play a DVD of my life, your life, on the overhead here this morning... Which bits of that would make you feel ashamed? Which bits would you want to scrub out? Which bits would you really not want anybody to see, apart from that which you know? Think about that for my own life, but what about for yourselves? Are you in a fast car? 
How do I know sin is deceiving me? Sin does shocking things. And secondly, sin is all about me. Listen to the voice of a younger son. Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Now remember, the father in the story is God. So sin is saying, I know what's best for me. Like Andrea was sharing with the children. It's writing God out of the picture. So he's in some distant country. So let me ask you, does does God feature in your day-to-day life at all? Or is he in a far away distant country? It might be worth asking a question like this. Who ultimately gets to make the decisions, the important decisions for you in your life? I wonder this morning, does the true God of the Bible even get a look in? Does he even get a look in? Are you in the fast car? Listen, I don't want you to be deceived. Sin is deceitful. Sin is a fast car. I don't want you to be deceived. Because look at the destination. Sentence 16 is as black a picture of the destination as we could have of where sin ends up when the Father's far away and it's all about me, myself and I. What it says in, in sentence number 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Sin was a fast car. That's the destination. That's where it's going. Well, I wonder what your favourite meal is. What's your favourite meal? What could I, if I could cook something for you, what would you like? What would it be? Chinese. Anything particular uh, in Chinese in, on the menu? Lemon chicken. Lemon chicken. Okay, that's uh, at least, it's nice, isn't it? Lemon chicken. Would that be your favourite or something else? KFC. KFC. Oh, yes. Finger looking good. Yeah, that's a good one, Weston. Yeah, yeah. I say, Weston says KFC. What, 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 what's your best meal? Big Mac? Big Mac. Who said that? Big Mac. Oh, okay, John. Great. Steak, oh yeah, steak and chips, something like that. Something like that. Toad in the hole. You're easily pleased. I think you're easily pleased. Well, we've all got our own favourites, haven't we? What we'd really love to eat. But I can bet you that for most of us, it's not going to be something like this, is it? We've been collecting these scraps over the last couple of days. Just so I can bring it in and show you. Um, uh, just to illustrate, really, uh, the, what's going on in the story there in verse 16. Uh, look at what it said. Um, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This is the kind of stuff that we might give feed pigs with, yeah? Should take the top off, it would be disgusting, wouldn't it? These are the scraps from the last few days. I can smell it already here. Imagine your dream meal... This is the sun here. Imagine your dream meal was to eat the pig swill from the pail. Imagine that. 
That's the image that God's giving you this morning to compare with what you're settling for when he's in a distant country than when he's close. Maybe you know you're keeping God at a distance this morning. And maybe it's, well, yeah, okay, but yeah, life is pretty good, pretty good. How much better must life be if God can say what you're really settling for is no better than pig swill? Have a thought of that. And on the other hand, in a room of this size, I'm quite sure that some people, and it's a sad thing, some people will say, yeah, that's my life. Right there in the pigsty. Life is that rubbish. I'd be surprised if there weren't a few people in the room this size this morning who could say that. Life is that rubbish. But let me say this. There's hope right there. There's hope right there in the pigsty. Because, sentence 16, look at it. There's hope right there. He came to his senses. He came to his senses. He made a logical decision. How many of my father's hands, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and I'm here starving to death? He made a logical decision. Christians aren't brainwashed. They're people who take God at his word. Yet, the people that say, yeah, keeping God at a distance is, is pig's will. And they make the most right-minded, sensible decision that you can imagine. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. We may hurt other people, but we sin against God. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Maybe like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. And now the question in the story, what's the father going to do? What would you do? What would you do to a son who had turned you out of your home and shamed you and then when he basically worked out which side of, yeah, which, which side of bread's buttered, how things were going to be best for him, he comes hot-footing it home because he wants his home comforts again. What would you do in a situation like that? Enter the daddy. Enter the daddy. Look what God is like. If sin was a fast car, God's readiness to forgive the son when he asked for it is faster. It's faster. Sentence 20 literally says... But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We're supposed to feel the speed of that. The son isn't even given a chance to finish his sentence. Did you notice that? Before he gets a chance to say, make me like one of your hired servants, that's what he had practiced he was going to be saying, the father says, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and she's on his feet. Wow. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Excuse me, but wow. Wow. Who's the daddy? I'm not the daddy. He's the daddy. He's the daddy. An unimaginable readiness to meet our sin with compassion. And you might say to me, okay, Anthony, that's a story. How does God do that for real? Well, elsewhere, the Bible says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was the most incredible, untoppable, compassionate act in the whole of history. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why would he do that? Why would Christ die for us? Well, if you remember nothing else this morning, I want you to remember this. It's the most important news in the whole world. Let me use an illustration that someone once showed me. Imagine my hand here, this my hand, represents you and I. And imagine the space above my hand represents God. And now let's, let's imagine this book contains a record of my sin, contains a record of your sin, the shocking things, the give me my share of the property that's coming to me things. Okay? Now at the moment that sin is a barrier, isn't it, between me and a good God, a loving, compassionate, good Father. Now, imagine my other hand represents Jesus on the cross. At the cross, this is what happened. Okay? God concentrated all the punishment that you and I deserve on Jesus. My son, sin doesn't magically disappear. The son took it upon himself so that any man or woman, boy or girl, who comes to their senses gets up and goes back to the Father by the means that the Father has provided, not not by being good, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God says, though he was dead, he will be alive. Though lost for all eternity, he will be found. That's the depth of the Father's love in the Lord Jesus. We sometimes sing how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch like you and I his treasure. Who's the daddy? He's the daddy. He's the daddy, isn't he? So let me say to you this morning, will you, will you get up and go to him? This morning, he came to his senses, it says. Don't put it off. Let me say to you, the chance may not come again. The chance may not come again. You can be your daddy. Father's Day would be a great day to get up and go to him. If you know you're ready to do that, you don't need me or Steve. 
All you need is right there in the story. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm going to come back to you. That's the only way anyone ever became a Christian. I'm lost. I'm dead. I need to go back to the Father who loves me and created me. Not by my goodness, but by the cross of the Lord Jesus. And the son's journey back began with one logical step. The father is unimaginably ready to meet that step right now with his compassion. But of course, if it would help to talk, that's my invitation to you as well. Of course, we'd like to help. If it would help to talk, then don't go from here this morning without doing so. Just time for me to point out the twist at the end of the story. Listen to the older brother in sentence 29. Listen to what he he said. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your order. He wouldn't join the celebration. I wonder if he ever did. It's a picture of the person who comes to church each week and helps at the clubs and comes to church each week and helps at the clubs. God help me if it's me. God help you if it's me. God help you if it's you. Where Christianity is only about religion. Doing the right thing without ever actually experiencing the deep Father's love. We're only ever dead until we're made alive. We're only ever lost until we're found. That's the message of the story, isn't it? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Today would be a great day to go back. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Rejoicing in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. Well, while we ask the musicians to come up and get ready, we're going to sing in a moment. Let's just bow our heads in the quietness and let's do business with God ourselves now. You don't need me, you don't need Steve. That's for the first time this morning. You want to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but I see the beautiful picture of your compassion in this story, and I want to claim that for myself this morning. I'm lost. I'm dead. But you'll make me alive. You'll find me.
how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Let's stand together and sing this. And after that I'm going to hand over to Steve. He's going to finish the service for us.